of us are given a choice. We decide which path we will take in life. Proverbs tells us that there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end that way is death. Please join us as we discuss the choice that we all must make in this message. Which way will I go? If you want to take your Bibles out and turn with me to the book of First Peter. I will get there eventually, I'm sure. You guys pray for me this morning. I'm going to preach with a throat lozenge in my mouth. I'm having a little trouble with my, with my throat this morning, so I pray I can get through this all right. It's been awful scratchy this morning. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end... Is the way of death. Let me read that again. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And some of you may have seen this week. They were uh, the world is celebrating a, a well-known celebrity. Uh, I guess you would. Some people would call him an idol. I don't have any idols other than Jesus Christ. He's he's my idol. But he was an American idol, and I have nothing against the man. In fact, I enjoyed his music when he was alive. I, I liked him. I didn't know him, of course, but I liked what I knew about him. But some of you may have seen this week that uh, Friday uh, was January the 8th, 2010, would have been the 75th birthday for Elvis Presley had he lived. Uh, But what some people don't know is that his, his singing career was strongly influenced in his childhood by gospel music. Uh, he grew up hearing gospel music around it. He used to go to all-night gospel singings, and and uh, he loved to go here. And back then, it was just all southern gospel, quartets and that kind of thing. Uh, I grew up to, around that myself, in fact. We used to have gospel singings at my dad's church, and I'd sing some solos, and the quartets would get up, and it was it, I enjoyed it. You know, Back in the day, that was the going thing. You know, It was good. Some people still enjoy that kind of music today. I do, too. It's just, I mean, it's... I won't say it's outdated, but it's there's new stuff on the scene today. But anyway, it was good. And he grew up around that. But as as he got out of high school and graduated, um, he was discovered, and he skyrocketed to the top of the charts and became known as a, an American icon, an entertainer on the world scene, a singing sensation. Later on became a movie star. Um, but he grew up hearing the gospel. But from what we can really tell about him, he never really embraced it as his own. Now, I went online and pulled up his biography because I wanted to know a little bit about his beliefs, his, his religion, and what he believed. So I'm just going to read some of this to you. It said, Elvis Presley grew up in a superficially religious family. They sporadically attended First Assembly of God Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Then later they moved to Memphis and they attended the First Assembly of God of Memphis. His father and mother were not committed church members, and though Elvis attended church frequently with his mother uh, during his childhood, he never made a profession of faith or joined the church. The pastor in Memphis, Brother James E. Haifman, says Elvis did not sing in the church or participate in church group. Uh, by his high school years, Elvis largely stopped attending church. Elvis's father, Vernon, and his mother, Gladys, met at the First Assembly of God Church in Tupelo. But they later eloped a few months after that. And then it goes on to say, 
Even after he became famous, Elvis continued attending Southern Gospel Singings and the National Quartet Convention. In the early years of his rock and roll career, he sang some with the Blackwood Brothers and the Statesman's Quartet. I got an album by the Statesman Quartet. I remember that group. I didn't know the Blackwood Brothers. Um, but he would go sing with them at an all-night singing at the Ellis Auditorium in Memphis. Now, it went on to say that three independent Baptist preachers have testified that Elvis told them that he had trusted Jesus as his Savior in his younger years, but was backslidden. Elvis never made a public profession of faith in Christ. He was never baptized. He never joined a church. Pastor Hamill, the former pastor of the First Assembly of God in Memphis, says that Presley visited him in, his late 19, in the late 1950s when he was at the height of his rock and roll power and testified. I want you to listen to what he said. Pastor, I'm the most miserable young man you've ever seen. I've got all the money I'll ever need to spend I've got millions of fans. I've got friends. But I'm doing what you taught me not to do. And I'm not doing the things that you taught me to do. Now, I want you to just remember that. Because at this point, he's probably in his late 20s, mid to late 20s. And God is still touching his heart. He's still under the conviction because he saw fit to go out of his way to go visit his old pastor. And say, Pastor, I'm not doing what you taught me to do. I'm doing all the things you taught me not to do, and I am the most miserable man you will ever meet. But what you're going to discover is later on, that conscience that was sensitive to the Holy Spirit became seared, and he didn't care what God said anymore. And folks, that's a warning to you and I. When the Holy Spirit is tugging at our heart, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit and respond. Amen. Elvis did not believe the Bible in a traditional sense. Elvis construed a personal religion out of what he had read about Hinduism, Judaism, numerology, theosophy, mind control, positive thinking, and Christianity. The night he died, he was reading the book, Sex and Psychic Energy. Elvis loved material by Guru Paramahana, I can't say that word, Paramahanasa Yogananda. Maybe you can say it better than I do. He was the Hindu founder of the Self-Realization Fellowship. In considering a marriage to Ginger Alden, which never came to pass prior to his death, Elvis wanted the ceremony to be held in a pyramid-shaped arena in order to focus the spiritual energy upon him and Ginger. Elvis was sometimes called the evangelist by those who hung around him and called them his disciples. But the message he preached was, preached was con, it contained strange uh, permutations of the Christian dogma. Elvis believed, for example, that Jesus slept with his free ma- female followers. Now, why would he think that? Because if that's what I'm doing, it's okay as long as Jesus did the same thing. Elvis even had messianic concepts of himself as the Savior of mankind in the early 1970s. He read the Bible aloud at times and even conducted some strange Bible studies. But he had no spiritual discernment and made up his own wild-eyed interpretations of biblical passages. His ex-wife Priscilla eventually joined the Church of Scientology, as did his daughter Lisa Marie and her two children. Elvis liked the gospel music, but he did not like Bible preaching. He refused to allow anyone, including God, to tell him how to live his life. 
And I think the story of his life and how he viewed God's intervention in his life was best said in one of the songs, the lyrics of one of the songs that he sang. So I'm going to read them to you, and you just listen carefully to the message that he was portraying to the world in his song. And now the end is near, so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. Regrets? I have a few. But then again, too few to bitch I did what I had to do and saw it through without exception. I planned, I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway. Oh, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times I'm sure you knew when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and I spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall and did it my way. I loved, I've laughed and cried. I've had my faults, my share of losing. And now as tears subside, I find it all amusing. To think I did all that. And may I say, not in a shy way. No, oh no, not me. I did it my way. For what is man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the words he truly feels and not the words he would reveal. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Now let me just say something. I have absolutely, I don't have an axe to grind against Elvis Preston. I'm not here to smear his name. But I think there's a valuable lesson to learn in the, the way he approached life and the fact that he wouldn't let anybody, including God, tell him how to live his life. So he decided to do everything his own way. In what way was that? Well, he never was one that was given to, to drinking alcohol, but he abused drugs his whole life. Because this young man was so miserable, he took drugs to wake up, he took drugs to go to sleep, he took drugs to give him energy. He basically was a drug addict, just to cope with life. Then on August the 8th in 1977, in his own home there in Graceland, Memphis, Tennessee, Elvis died when his heart failed due to drugs complication with drugs at only 42 years of age now what does the tragic story Elvis Presley have to do with you and I today I mean we're not students of Hinduism or Eastern mysticism or Scientology Lord knows and I hope nobody here is consulting with a guru and consorting with that sort of thing so what does it have to do with us and the reason that I bring this out is because I believe that there are core issues, a root cause to the choices that Mr. Presley made that sums up the lyrics of that song. You see, Elvis had a problem. It's right here. He had an eye problem. I did it my way, he said. Each and every day, folks, we have to make fundamental choices of what we're going to do. Which way we're going to go? The lyrics of that song speaks to the way that people often choose their approach to life. Because we're going to do it one of two ways, folks. 
I'm either going to do it God's way or I'm going to do it my way. Now, we are triune beings. And hopefully that if you're born again, your spirit has been reborn. If not, then your spirit and your flesh, they're, they're the same. And you're going to do it your way because that's what your spirit's telling you to do and your flesh is telling you to do. But this morning, if you're a born-again believer, your spirit that was once dead in sin has been born to life. And my spirit is telling me to do it God's way. But my flesh is telling me to do it my way. And every single day I make a choice which one I'm going to listen to. Which way am I going to go? And that's the real question. That's the title of my message today. Which way will I go? Proverbs 14.12 says there is a way that seems right to a man. But the end of that way is death. Now, Mr. Presley knew the gospel. He grew up in the Assemblies of God Church. I know what they preach. They preach solid doctrine. That's what I preach. So he had no excuse for not accepting God's way. He knew. But he chose not to embrace that. He went and told his own pastor, I know what I should be doing. And I'm not doing it. I'm doing what I know I should not do. And I'm the most miserable man in the world. Those that's the closest to him said that he liked gospel music, but he did not like biblical preaching. He refused to allow anyone to tell him how to live his life, including God. What we see here is a common connection to all sin. The common connection is that when we know what is right to do, we choose not to do it. It's because we have an eye problem. It was the original sin. It's when I say, I will, instead of God's will. We find that in, in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. It says this, speaking of Satan, the original, where the original sin came from. He was the originator of sin. Prior to his rebellion, there was no sin. It says in verse 12, How art thou, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? Verse 13, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou, hast, thou shalt be Brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. You see, what man, when man places his will above God's will, he sees a way that seems right to him. But the end of that way is going to always, always lead to death. And we see that in the example of Mr. Presley. He chose to do it his way. And, I, and I'm not here to judge him this morning. I don't know if the man was accepted before God or not. We, none of us can answer that question. I hope that he was. In fact, I, I liked the guy. I mean, when we were teenagers, Elvis Presley, he was, the, he was it, brother. I'm telling you, in the 60s, the early 60s, how many of us in my age bracket? You're in your mid-50s, and ladies, you don't want to admit it. Keep your hands down. But. <laughs> when we were teenagers, seriously, you didn't have instant replay. You didn't have Tebow or Tybo, whatever you say. You couldn't rewind it. I mean, if you saw it, you saw it. If you missed it, you missed it. So we would call each other and say, man, there's an Elvis Presley movie coming on tonight. Blue Hawaii is coming on, you know. And we'd make sure, isn't that true? We'd make sure we're in front of the TV, man. We want to see girls, 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 and what all the movies he made, you know. So I like the guy. I hope he is in heaven, man. I'd like to go 
see the guy. I mean, all that hair, man, that was cool, you know. I thought he really sang good. Now I'm later on, I kind of listened to some of his music. In my opinion, really wasn't all that. But back then, it was, man, it was it. And so I'm not here because I don't like him. In fact, I did like him, you know. But when I read the story of his life and I compare it to what the Bible says, he has the problems. I mean, he was missing something here. And it's sad that he, he chose to do things his way instead of God's way. But this morning, it's easy for us to, to point out the faults of high-profile people like Elvis Presley. But that's not why we're here. We're not here to smear his name or point out his faults. It's not, us to, it's not our place to judge him. And thank God I don't have to answer for what he did. But church, I can tell you one thing. I do have to answer for myself. You do have to answer for yourself. So this morning, the subject I want to address, it may not seem like it's all that bad. I mean, it's not like we're leaving Christianity and turning to Hinduism or Eastern mysticism or Scientology or something. It doesn't, may not seem like it's all that bad. But let me ask you a question. If you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, is it not the same sin? Maybe on a different level. But isn't it the same sin when I know the right thing to do and I don't do it? It is. Because James chapter 4 verse 17 tells us, To him that knows to do good and do it not, to him it is a sin. So we look at the severity of what he did and we think, Oh man, it's terrible. But when we know the right thing to do and we don't do it, isn't it the same thing? Maybe not as severe, but it's the same thing. So there's many times that we have to make choices. I'm going to have to choose, am I going to do the right thing, or am I going to do it my way? And we make the wrong choice. Somebody say amen. Isn't that true? A lot of times, I know what's the right thing to do, and I've got to make a choice. Am I going to do this, or am I going to do it the right way, or am I going to do it my way, and I make the wrong choice? This happens a lot, but I don't think it happens any more frequently than it does as it pertains to our relationship with each other. The way we relate to each other. Because there's a lot of things that I do that's wrong, but most of the time it has something to do with how I relate to other people. Now you sit and think about that. The biggest struggles that you have, it always has something to do, usually, not always, but most of the time, has something to do with relationships. So, the subject that I want to address this morning for the next few minutes is it's on the subject of personal choices and how we interact to those that's the closest to us. Let's pray. Father, for the next few minutes, God, I just pray that you just give us listening ears. Lord, make our spirits sensitive to what you're trying to say to us. God, I pray that the word that comes forth now, Lord, it'll be accurate. God, it'll be relevant. Lord, it'll hit its mark. Father, I pray this morning that every single one of us, as we hear this, God, we're not going to be looking at the person beside us or in front of us or behind us, Lord. God, we're not going to be looking at some nationally known person, God. We're going to be looking at ourselves and saying, God, what are you trying to say to me? Lord, I, I want to know your truth because, God, you said that the truth is what's going to make me free. God, I not only want to see it and hear it, Lord, I want to know it. I want it to be a part of who I am. So, God... Help me to break through the restraints of my mind, Lord, and, the, and my old sinful, stinking, rotten flesh. 
And let my spirit speak loudly, Lord, and, and, and speak to my spirit, God, and build me up in the spirit man so that I can become the man of God that you want me to be. I ask you this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week, uh, I, I uh, talked about family values. And I talked about how important it is that we have family values that kind of give us direction. gives us a guidance of what is right and what is wrong, what's acceptable, what isn't, the rewards we get for doing what is good and right, and uh, the correction that comes because we don't do what is right. And, and I think family values are important. How many went home and give it some more thought if you didn't write it down and set down some fa- family values? I hope you thought about it. What did I preach about three weeks ago? Oh, no. It's like the CNI dog. I've got to tell you, this just popped into my mind. This quartet came to church, and, then, and it was all, one of them all-day gospel singing deals, you know. And, and uh, the preacher was there, and a bunch of different groups came in. Well, the first group was uh, three blind men, and they had three C&I dogs. And they brought those dogs up here, and they set them right there on the pulpit. And the preacher said, I don't know about having those dogs in here. And he said, Preacher, you don't have to worry about that dog. He said, Last Sunday you preached a message. said, I bet some of the people in here can't even tell you what you preach, because they forget. He said, but that dog, that dog never forgets. He said, man, they tore loose the singing stuff, but everybody got their eyes closed. One they got to uh, just rejoicing in the Lord and said, everybody was so locked into the Spirit that nobody noticed that old yellow cat that jumped up in the windowsill. He said, but that dog noticed it. And guess what? He forgot. And it's a Saxon song about them running through the church and people getting saved and all kinds of stuff because they thought the Holy Ghost was moving. Anyway, I didn't have a punchline. just a story. It's popped into my head. It happens all the time. It's one right scene. I keep a train of thought here, you know. But anyway, last week I talked about core values. And this morning I want to kind of continue on that theme of building relationships and building a strong family. Because we all began when our mom and dad came together, and hopefully they came together in love and, and uh, you know, before God at an altar. You know, we all have, may have different beginnings. Some of you may have started your life because mom and dad were just in a moment of passion or something. You know, maybe they didn't marry or a young lady violated or something. I, I don't know how you began, but however you got here, I, I believe the general concept that people have today is that A man meets a woman, they fall in love, they marry in the holy union of matrimony, and they create children. You know, I think that's God's design anyway. But no matter how we got here, uh, we just have that idea that when a man and a woman walk the aisle, they will never be more in love than they are right then and there. Isn't that true? Those of you that are married... The minute you walk that aisle, it's in your mind, I will never be more in love than I am right now. And, and it is true. I think it's the most love that those people will ever have for each other is when they're standing there. Because in their mind, they fully intend to spend the rest of their life together. When they stand there and say, until death us do part. There's no idea that they will ever do anything but that. But how many of you know love is blind? And marriage is an eye-opener. And sometimes things just happen. (laughs) 
And that love that you had that you thought would never end, it begins to break down. And there's all kinds of reasons for it. Sometimes it's just the blackness that is inside of us. Sometimes it's the pressures of life that are weighing down on us. But I think more times than not, it's just old-fashioned sin. Those things we know better. We know what we should do, but we don't. We know the things that we should not do, but we do them anyway. Harsh words. We break promises. We betray people's, each other's trust. We cut deep, make deep wounds, and eventually we become just so broken-hearted that we begin to put up barriers and to build walls. We take offense at what our mate's doing. We just begin to put up those barriers to keep them out. And so the family begins to break down. And too often, if something isn't done, not only does the family break down, but it breaks up. Now, some of you sitting here this morning, you may have come from a broken home. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Because when we get to that point where our family's breaking down, it's threatening to break apart or it does break apart, the choices that we make right then not only affects our lives, it affects generations to come. And some of you sitting here this morning, you came from broken homes. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know the hurt that comes from that. You may be a product of a broken home yourself, a broken marriage sitting here today. And you know exactly what I'm saying. It is one of the most painful things that, that a person will go through. It is said that a person that loses a mate, it's almost like losing a child to death. It's a part of you has died. And so I'm not here to try to open old wounds. There's, it's impossible to speak on this subject without touching some sensitive areas in people's lives. I mean, when there's a 50% divorce rate among Christians... You can't address the subject without stirring up some kind of memories about families that broke down, things that went wrong. And so I believe above everybody else that is in here this morning, you would want us to talk about biblical principles about how God means for us to relate to each other. Amen? So that other people can avoid that. So I don't want to hurt you in any way. We're not here to judge if you come from a broken home or if you're, you know, your marriage broke up. Uh, in fact, I'm here to encourage you this morning to tell you that God's got a new beginning and a fresh start. He's not through with you yet. Amen? God can always mend the brokenhearted. That's what He came to do. He said, I came to mend the brokenhearted. Amen. So we want to try to do something to help avoid those, uh, those hurts and pains that comes from that. We, we need to commit ourselves to making good choices. Amen? Because the reason that those families broke up is somewhere along the way, they made some very bad choices. And so we want to commit ourselves to making good choices. Now, when things are going good, you know, right after the, the little, you're at the altar taking your vow thing. Man, things go good after that. Amen. It should. I hope it does. Praise God. If it don't start out good, you're already in trouble. But when things are going good, it's, it's not hard at all to... Obey God's Word. It's when things clash. It's when we have a problem with each other that really obedience is put to the test. Because it's when we clash with someone that's close to us that I'm going to make the choice, am I going to do it God's way? Or am I going to do it my way? Let me give you just a hypothetical uh, example of what I'm talking about. 
Here, here's a guy, and he's just messing up, you know, in his family. He's not being a good dad. He's not being a good husband. And he goes to an honor-bound conference. And man, while he's there, they're getting all over his case about how you need to be treating the little woman at home and how you need to be taking care of your kids and stuff. And man, you're just so convicted. And he's like, man, I'm making a mess out of this. And so you just repent and you get before God and say, I'm going to do this better. So you go home, you tell your wife, say, honey, Friday night, baby, me and you, we're going to go out on a date night. Me and you, baby, just us. We're going to leave the kids, get a babysitter. So you line up the babysitter and we'll go. She thinks, praise God, the honor bound has helped my husband. So she calls up this teenage girl to come over and watch the kid, you know. Well, they're going to leave out at 7 o'clock, 5 o'clock. The phone rings. Teenage girl says, something came up. I can't make it. Suddenly, the plans of, the plans of all change. It's too late to call somebody else, so they just have to scratch the date night. Now, this man's got a choice. Am I going to do it my way? Am I going to do it God's way? So he goes stomping off into the other room. He's like, I don't even know why I try. If I'd have been making the plans, I'd have had a backup plan. Good grief. Why don't you call somebody that you can depend on? So he goes in, he turns on the TV set, and he's sitting there watching the hockey game. He's puffed up like a bullfrog. Oh, these women, why you leave something up to a woman? And all these things are going through his mind. She's in the other room, and she's crying because she missed out on this opportunity. She said, to, to go out on a date with her husband. She's so disappointed because this person's let her down. And she's wishing that he would just come in and talk to her. Tell her, well, that's all right, baby. We'll just do something here. Wouldn't that be a God way to do things? But instead, she's sitting there and like, he just don't understand what I'm going through. I thought I had a new husband. There ain't nothing changed. He told me he repented to die on our bound. He's a hypocrite, lying rascal. I don't know why I even married him anyway. He's sitting in there thinking... Come on, some of you going through this, you know what I'm talking about. He's sitting there thinking, she's lucky to even have a man like me. I mean, how many husbands would even consider taking her out on a date to start with? And so they're in there just stewing, both of them, going their separate ways. And before you know it, they have let the sun go down on their wrath. And what started out as an offense, it becomes vicious. Sometimes they get into shouting matches. And then they start bringing up all the things from the past, every mistake you've ever made, all the things you could have done better. And you start tearing each other down. Every time we come to a situation like that. See, it's when things are going good. That's not the test. It's when we have a problem like that that the test really comes of whether I'm going to obey or not, whether I'm going to do things God's way or do it my way. Amen? Amen? So with all of that said, let, let me tell you something. I, I believe God spoke to this, this this morning. Your spouse is not your problem. I don't care how bad they mess it up. I don't care. It doesn't matter how hard I'm trying and how goofy they're being. If it's not working, it's still not their problem. And when we always say, if they would only do thus and so, we're doing the exact same thing that Mr. Presley did. I'm going to do it my way. I, 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 I've got a pride problem. I've got a problem. So, actually, I'm going to close out with this passage of Scripture because I, this is where I really believe that God wanted me to go this morning. I'm going to read this Scripture over. I don't know what the Lord's going to say. I'm just going to kind of expound on it as I go. And I'm going to leave this Scripture with you to think about. And I want you to promise me you're going to go home and read over this. If you didn't go home last week and work on your family values, that's okay. I'll get over it. You just cut me to my heart. That's all right. But I do want you to promise me I'm going to go home and I'm going to read over this this week. 
And I'm going to commit myself to do what it says. How many of you have promised me you're going to do that? I'm going to go home and read this, and I'm going to commit myself to do what it says. Because if we don't, we're just like the man. I'm going to do it my way. But as believers in Christ, I believe we should do it God's way. If you found your place in First Peter, I'm going to start in chapter 2. Actually, I'm trying to get to chapter 3, but you can't read chapter 3. It doesn't make any sense if you don't read part of chapter 2. Okay? So let's start there in verse 18. Servants. How many servants we got? We should all be servants. Amen? Servants, be submissive to your masters. First Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Now, that don't mean you fear them. That means you have a reverent respect for God. That's why you're doing this. Not only to the good and gentle. Everybody else should underline that. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to those that are harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience towards God, one endures suffering, grief, suffering wrongly. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? Question mark. In other words, if you do something wrong and you get punished for it, well, I mean, you can't glory in that. You had it coming. There's no glory. Well, I got punished because I did something wrong. You shouldn't have done something wrong. Okay, so I did something wrong. I got punished for it. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Husband and wife, one of them does something really dumb, and the other one won't let them forget it. And because they won't let me forget it, sometimes we get spiteful. Well, I'll show you. And it just spirals downward from there. And even when you tried to do something good and it didn't work out, and you suffer for it, you don't go stomping off and watch two bunch of men with no teeth beat each other up with a crooked stick and pout. I'm talking about a hockey game in case you're wondering. She's thinking he's in there just watching men no beat each other with a stick. What's wrong with that man? You don't do that. If I did try to do something good, it didn't work out, and I suffer for it, he said, you take it patiently. That's commendable before God. Verse 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. I did good, and nobody gave me any recognition for it. You know what we should do? More good. Nobody ever notices what I do. So, what are you going to do? More good. Well, I'm just going to quit. See, this doesn't apply just to marriage. This is all relationships because I've told you most of the problems we have, it's usually relational. Nobody appreciates what, appreciates what I do. I'll just quit. I'll show them. They think they don't need me. They'll find out when I'm gone. Is that God's way or my way? There's a way that seems right, never works. Verse 22, is actually part of 21. It says, We should follow his steps who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, might, that we, having died to sin, might live in righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were she uh, sheep 
uh, gone astray, but now, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now, I had to read that because, it, go ahead and flip over to First Peter chapter 3. Because he's making reference to what we just read. First Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, all the wives say, I'm here. Wives, likewise. What does he mean, likewise? Everything I just told the servant to do, you have got to do the same thing. Wives, likewise. Just what I told the servant, I'm telling you. Be submissive to your own husbands. That even if some do not obey the word. In other words, they're not doing what is good and gentle, but they're harsh. Remember what he told the servant? You serve your master, not just to the good and gentle, but even to those that are harsh. What is he saying? Likewise, wives, serve your husband. Not if he takes you out on a date night. And he's good and gentle and is always thoughtful and thinking about you and courteous and gentle and kind. No. Even if he's harsh. Because this is what you're called to, he's saying. Jesus did this. He set the example and he's telling you to do the same thing, wives. Are you hearing me? Come on, ladies. Say amen. I hear you. I don't like it, but I hear you. Come on. You going to beat up on the husbands? Oh, yeah, I'm getting to them. Just hang on. Work with me here. Don't leave, husbands. we got guards at the door. They won't let you out. Verse 3 says, Do not let your adorning be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, and putting on fine apparel. Now, he's not saying that you can't do those things. He said, Yeah, yeah, do that. Fix your hair, put on, look nice. But don't just stop there, he's saying. Verse 4, Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of, of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is, a very, which is very precious in the sight of God. In other words, when he's, he's just being a bonehead, be gentle and quiet. Don't start nagging and go get your card. You know what a card is, don't you? A certified card-carrying nag. No, don't do that. Be gentle and quiet. Because this is precious in the sight of God. Verse 5. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Verse 7, are you with me, men? Say, I'm here. All the husbands say, I'm here. Come on, guys. I'm here. Husbands, likewise. Do you see that word? In other words, everything I told the servant, I'm telling you. Everything I told the wife, I'm telling you. Wives, submit to your husband. Guess what? Husbands, submit to your wife. Paul says that over in Ephesus. Chapter 5. Submit yourself one to the other. See, this is not just a, oh, she's the woman, she got to obey me. I ask him sometimes in the wedding vows, women, do you, want to, do you want me to add the word love, honor, cherish, and obey? Some of the women are like, no. But you know what I'm going to start doing? 
Because I'm just kind of, this is really jumping off the pages at me this week, all right, as I'm reading it. I'm going to start putting obey in both sides of the vows. If they want me to do their wedding vows, that's, that's something I'm, I believe I may even insist on. I'm going to love, honor, cherish, and obey till death us do part. And have the husband say it too, because that's what he's saying here. Husbands, likewise, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Ladies, look this way. You will never be a man. If you're listening to this, wherever you are in the world, we're on Internet now. You can go online and listen to these sermons. Every, we're posting them every week now. So wherever you are in the world, ladies, listen to me. You will never be a man. Stop trying. Men don't want you to be men. They want you to be women. Be delicate and soft and... And feminine. That's, that's what men want. They want you dressing in fine apparel and gold and put on something that smells nice and look good. So likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Give honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Listen to me, folks. A lot of people wonder why their prayers don't ever marry couples now. Don't seem to ever get any higher than the ceiling. Well, good Lord, you treat your wife like a dog. Sneaking around behind your husband, you're not honoring him. Not submitting to him. Doing stuff. Don't tell your daddy. Don't let your daddy find out. Oh, dear God, please. And God's like, sorry, I can't help you. You need to get things right in this relationship here. Because your prayers are being hindered. Are you hearing me, church? Finally, verse 8. All of you. Do you see that? Servants, do this. Wives, likewise. You do that in this. Husbands, likewise. You do all the stuff I done told them to do. And finally, all of you. I don't care if you're married or not. Are you hearing me say, uh-huh? All of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brethren. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life, how many of you love life? Brother, I love life. Who, who loves life in here? Huh? He who loves life and sees good days. How many of you want to see some good days? Amen, brother. I want to see some good days. Hallelujah. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and let his lips and his lips uh, speak uh, from speaking deceit. Verse 11. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. You know that what that tells me? Now, let's just back up and look at that a minute. The word righteous means to be in right standing with God. Now, if I hear this, and like the man we talked about, I don't like biblical preaching, and I decide, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it my way. Am I in right standing with God? I wouldn't qualify for the definition of righteous at that point, would I? 
If I know what is right to do, but I don't do it. To him that knoweth to do good and he does it not, it's a sin. I would not qualify for the definition of righteous in this particular example. Because he says the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. And then his ear is tuned to their prayer. So God, I'm going to commit myself to hear your word. And Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this, Lord. What you told me to do. I'm going to refrain my my tongue from evil and deceit. Because your eyes are on the righteous. It says his ears are open to their prayers. But... The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Would you stand with me, please? Say, Pastor, that's the kind of sermon I like. Short and sweet and to the point. Amen.